I really hope that this series this summer has been something that's been helpful for you as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount's greatest message, most impactful message, influential message uh, delivered by any person in any time throughout history. It is, is more has uh, been affected because of what Jesus taught in this particular sermon in our time, so that's, I hope that it has been affecting you. And uh, if you uh, haven't been with us all summer, um, well, you can listen to these online, but you can also read uh, these, uh, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Bible. Uh, it's where it's recorded for us, uh, Matthew uh, 5 through 7. And up to this point where we are kind of midway through the summer, kind of getting closer to the end, uh, we've kind of traveled through and traversed a lot of the sermon so far as Jesus has, uh, has really uh, explains to us this declaration of God's kingdom, which is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. And so far, as he's taught us that, uh, some key principles about God's kingdom, that, that, that uh, God's kingdom was not going to be a political movement first. It wasn't going to be a public thing first. It was first going to be a personal, and then it becomes public. It has to be a movement of the heart. And as it does that, it, Jesus teaches us that God's kingdom is something that requires faith and faithfulness, that it's his kingdom, not ours, that we're going to have to follow God and do things his way, even if they don't make sense to us. And it's going to have to be that that understanding, that obedience has got to be born out in our actions, but also that the kingdom of God is always worth it, even though it doesn't always make sense, even though it oftentimes costs us dearly, that it's always worth it. There's a benefit to following God. And, and, and as he teaches us that, there's also, he tells us that we have to live according to his kingdom then, not be worldly. We've got to stay salty uh, to make sure that we maintain this, this kingdom mentality, this kingdom lifestyle, even amongst a, a culture and a world that is very much not that way that we're going to have to have a different type of culture amongst us and not only privately do that, but also shine the light of God's truth to be able to, in a world in which is very dark, in a world especially like ours right now, in which truth is being denied outright, that we can't hide God's truth, but actually be able to have it reflect in our lives and in the world, not say, but also how we live. Now, all of those things are going to make, are important for us to hold to, to understand what Jesus talks about next, as he talks about how he came not to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Not just do what the law says, but to bring about the law's purpose, to set us free from the cage of just doing the right things, right, to just, but to becoming the right kind of people. And he, he shows us that, he gives us some illustrations of what the law looks like, that, you know, we're not supposed to be murderers, not just not murder. But, he, but to be people that aren't, wouldn't ever murder. It's not that we're not just to abstain from, uh, from adultery, but, but we're supposed to be deeply faithful type of people. It's, it's not that, that we're, we would be the type of people who would be uh, to just legal in how we would go even through divorcing our spouse, but to be the type of people that have the right kind of heart to be faithful and good to our spouses. The, the type of people that that won't need contracts and oaths, but the type of people who would eventually just speak truth. And I want to be that kind of person. And the great thing is, is that in heaven, we all will be that kind of person. So how do I get from here to there? That's, that's the challenge. And Jesus then explains that, you know, there are things that we do as part of his people that we, we act religiously and in this expression of, of religion, as we go through these, these religious things, we become who we're supposed to be, but we have to practice those well. Now, in my mind, the word religion is kind of almost a bad uh, word because 
It's been so abused in the past. And we see all of these other religions which just stick people into moral cages that don't change them. And that was happening in, in Jesus' life. And so as Christians, oftentimes we say, we're not about religion, we're about relationship. We want relationship with God. And that's true. But there is something to the practice of our faith, the religious things. So in my mind, when I hear religion, I hear about this cold, you know, heartless kind of just a repetition of doing things that, you know, I just have done them always and they don't mean anything to me. I'm just kind of going through the motions. And so like, but I realize that religion is not just doing something for a spiritual reason, just kind of going through the motions, but, but it's actually doing something over and over again, right, because of a greater purpose. I'm being devoted to it. You know, in that way, I, uh, somebody shocked me one day as they said, well, you know, Aaron, you do a lot of things religiously, like, like you're religious about your meals. And in my mind, because I have a twisted brain, I was thinking, you know, what, like I have a Gregorian chant before I eat, you know, like, you know, what shall I say the time of day says it's time to eat, oh, yay. Like, that, no, that's, that's not what he meant, right? Religiously meant I just do it. I, I keep that, that on my schedule, right? No matter where I am, what I'm doing, if it's lunchtime, it's lunchtime. And there's something to be said about the practice of our faith and, and giving and in prayer and even in this strange thing of fasting. And what Jesus shows us is that, yes, you can have all the religious practice, but if you don't have the right reason to do it, if you're not practicing your religion for the right way, it's not going to help you. But today, as he talks about fasting, I think he sums it all up of where the power is to transform us from being people that will always be stuck in moral cages to be the type of people who are transformed that we won't need them. And yes, that has to do with how we give and how we pray, and also in how we fast. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to see this is going to be something that if it's applied in your life, has the potential, and not only the potential, will absolutely change you as a person. This is where the power of transformation that we talk about, being the, be generational transformational disciples, this is the secret, this is the key that most people, religious people, miss. And Jesus explains it to us. This is a very exciting thing. Right? So he talks about giving, right, and how, and how, to, how to pray, and then today and how to fast. So in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, if that sounds similar to what he says about praying and giving, I think there's a point to it. It's the exact same formula. Here's this religious practice, and, and, if you're, and this is the way that it's often done. Don't do it that way. Instead, I'm telling you to do it this way. But it's not just the formula. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. It's also the substance of it. Really, what he's saying is don't be showy. If you're going to give, don't make it showy. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. You get your reward on this earth if you're just trying to, to to get other people like about you, giving doesn't really matter. Or it, it, if you're praying, don't be showy about it, right? Be sincere. <laughs> and that's the type of prayer that matters, and it's the same thing with fasting. See, what he's saying here is, is a, a, a deep truth that you need to hold on to is that God wants true virtue, not a virtue signal. And in our culture, this is the opposite of really where the values are. 
You think about our culture is very much uh, enamored of virtue signals, right? Whatever is the, the, the moral thing of the day, that's what we all have to get on board with. And we have to change if you have social media. Uh, God bless you. Uh, we need Christians on there, I suppose. But you're going to have to change your, your little, you know, your icon or whatever it's on there, your picture to match whatever is the thing of the day that we're all supposed to be about, right? Even if you don't care about it at all. I saw this because I care deeply about Ukraine because we have a school over there we support. And I've cared about Ukraine for a long time. I've been there several times because our church is wonderful. And you've sent me over there so I could teach and, for, and help and all those type of things. But when the war in Ukraine happened, I had people who knew nothing, didn't even know where in the world it was. All of a sudden, they were the greatest advocates for Ukraine. But then when something else happened about they know nothing about Ukraine. They don't think about what's happening over there. It, it wasn't part of who they were. They just wanted to look moral. They wanted to look right. And so many in our culture today, this is how we live. And if you don't look right, if you don't have the right virtue signal, then you can, you'll be cast out. But God's not that way. See, he knows how immoral you look. But he comes to make us truly virtuous. But God's not looking for a show. That's why he said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, don't be a hypocrite. That's an actor. That's a, somebody who's pretending to be somebody they're not. And, and so most people, when they would fast, they would do this, and, and they would say, well, I'm doing this, uh, and I want everyone to know how religious I am, so I'm fasting, so I walk around being like, oh, why, Aaron, why do you look so faint? Why do you look so miserable? Well, I'm fasting. Why are you fasting? Because I'm such a religiously good person. I'm so grumpy. I have low blood sugar. Be nice to me. I'm religious and holy. That's why we would do it. He says, God's not impressed by this. Right? A fasting done for the wrong reason is not a healthy fast. It's not a helpful fast. Religion done for the wrong reason. If it's done for show, if it's done to signal virtue that you do not have, it doesn't really impress anybody else to be starters. Right? We, we know that. It, I think it really is something that makes us look at other people and be like, I don't want any part of that. In fact, a lot of reason that uh, people in our culture said well, they don't want to be a Christian is they say, well, Christians are hypocrites. I'm like, everybody in this world is basically a play actor. Right? You can say, but, but we should have this authenticity to us. And so when we pretend that we have virtue that we don't have, it's, we could see it, it's not attractive, and not only does it offend people, but it offends God. But God wants to change us from the inside out. And so we, we find in here is that, that our faith has to be personal before it becomes public. It has to be real, right, in us before it's, it's something that we would uh, be able to make it a, a public thing or political thing, right? We, we need to make sure that God's kingdom is alive in our own heart. And another way we say that, that faith expressed, therefore, and how we live, that the real faith that's inside us and how it's examined is, is more important than how our faith is professed. I could talk about Jesus, but if I'm not living a life that demonstrates an actual obedience to Christ's kingdom, then it's not a very effective expression of faith, right? It doesn't profess my faith very well. So how we live, right, how, how our faith is, is real in our own hearts, that's what really shines through us, and that's what really matters, and James talks about this. In fact, the scripture talks about this a lot. We, uh, a lot of debates of theologians. We talk about this, uh, the difference between faith and works then. 
right? What do I believe in my head? What is the virtue that, that I'm supposed to have versus what is the expression of that faith in my life, the works that I do? And we all know we're not saved by good works, but, but we do have to have right faith. So is it just a head game that I'm just saved because I believe the right things, but I can continue living a lifestyle that doesn't display that at all? And Scripture says, no, that's not the way it is at all. Like, if you really believe, if, you, if you're part of God's kingdom, if you believe that he is your king and your savior and your Lord, then the expression of our faith will begin to reflect that more and more and more. And, and so in James chapter 2, Jesus' brother writes this. So if one of you says to them, go in peace, uh, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So the expression of religious faith, a lot of times is this, that religion has the expression of doing the right thing well, but what they don't have is they don't have the right reason to do it. That's where it falls short. But also, I think oftentimes in our culture, the, the opposite comes true. We have all the right reasons, but then we don't do the right things. But both have to come together. And this is where transformation takes place. And so we find here that, that Jesus... Uh, he, he shows us, like, listen, guys, you're not supposed to be murderers. Like, don't kill each other. Like, God shouldn't even have to tell us that. But he don't, don't kill each other, right? But really, get to a point where you wouldn't ever do that. Be the type of people who practice, I'm going to be focusing on and prioritizing conflict resolution and forgiveness, right, and restoration. As I begin to do those things because God wants me to be a different person, as I begin practicing my faith that way and religiously, regularly forgiving others and caring for them and praying for those who, who are my enemies, things like that, God begins to change me. And then I stop being a person who would ever murder, and I don't need the law not to murder anymore. Same thing with adulterers and uh, same thing for those uh, that we talk about being truth tellers. If I want to be the type of person that would never need to give an oath, well, I'll start practicing just being honest. And he says then that transformation religiously, how we practice our faith, matters. So when we give, don't make it a show. Center your life around Jesus. Is he really your provider? Is he really your first? Are you being obedient to him? Uh, right? Is this between you and God? Well, then there's power in that. But if we're just doing it for show, it's not going to change us. Praying, same thing. Are you really communicating with your God? Are you really trying to connect with him? There's transformation there. If there's, there's a, a beginning, a seed of virtue in you where you want to be like God, you want to be closer to him, God then allows that seed to grow and helps us to become more like God, helps us become more godly, helps us to move closer to him. Same thing now also with fasting. So, Understanding God's kingdom, that God wants true virtue in from you, not just a virtue signal. He didn't come so that Christians could look good. He came to transform us so that we could be good. And one of the things that helps us in that transformation, there's a huge thing, is fasting, which is one of the most misunderstood and under-practiced spiritual disciplines in, in our faith, in our current modern day. And I think the reason that it is is that most of us have no idea what fasting is, and therefore we don't know why we would do it. Now, if you look it up in a dictionary, fasting says this. It says it's to abstain from something, whether food or drink, for a religious purpose, right? Usually food or drink. It could be something else. Now, I would say this is what most people understand fasting to be, and 
people throughout the world and all kinds of other religions, and every religion mostly, understand the need for this. They recognize that there is spiritual power that they gain when they fast. Now, oftentimes, they don't know why, but we, you talk about uh, from Hindus and Buddhists, you talk about uh, it, Muslims, uh, the Jewish people, Jesus fasted quite a bit. Christians throughout the ages have fasted. And, and most of them, when we look at that from a religious perspective only, from just doing the work of, of fasting, doing the action, this is what it looks like to abstain from something for a religious purpose, for a spiritual purpose. But I'm going to tell you, that's where the world gets it wrong. And that's where the Jews in Jesus' day got it wrong. They focused only here. This is a half definition. And what they're missing is the other portion that actually gives fasting power. And because most of us think of fasting as focusing on what we're giving up, the abstinence of it, it, it becomes something entirely uh, onerous to us. We're like, why on earth would I fast? That just seems miserable. Does God just enjoy my misery? Is that why I fast? I'm supposed to impress him by how much I can suffer, and if I suffer enough, then he's going to listen to me? Like I go on a hunger strike from God, and therefore he's going to hear what I have to say and then finally do it, because I'm like, I'm not going to eat till you give me what I want, God. Is that why it works? Does God want us to be miserable? Is this? No. That's not why we fast at all. In fact, God does not enjoy our suffering. That's why he came to, to free us from suffering. You know, heaven is paradise. No suffering there. This is not what God wants from us. But sometimes in this world, we have to suffer for righteousness. But it's not God's pleasure to make us suffer. And that's not why he looks at fasting and says, well, look how miserable they are. Good. They've proven to me that they're devout, they're devout and therefore I'm going to give them what they want. No. Now, if you I don't understand fasting and the reason we do it, I think you're going to have to look at something deeper. And it goes back to our design. See, you recognize that you are made in a triune kind of way. We're made in God's image. He's triune, but God made us in an interesting way. That you have a body, it says in the beginning. When God created us, he formed us out of the dust of the ground, like out of the, the, the molecules of nature. That you have a physical body. Did you know that? Yeah, all of us. I hope you did. If you didn't, well, surprise. But your physical body is subject to the physical world and the physical laws and all those types of things. And physical bodies, uh, uh, when they have life in them, they are sentient. And sentient physical beings have a heart and a mind, right? We, we have emotions and thoughts, right? And every sentient physical being has that. So you think about, like, if you have a dog, your dog has its own thoughts. And it has its own feelings, right? And those thoughts and feelings, its heart and its mind, direct the dog's actions, right? The dog does things because how it feels and what it thinks. And, and so it lives its life. And what be, what makes the dog think and feel things? Well, its body does. It's, it's got a physical brain that has physical chemicals in it that direct what it thinks and what it feels. And, and it's 100% based upon what is physical. And so the body's thoughts and minds are always driven by its flesh. Always. And so dogs don't feel deep remorse when they go and do something that we would... Because they're not, not held to a, a moral, spiritual law. That when they go and they, they do something really, what we would say, bad... When they look sad, it's because it, for them, it usually means that they get the, pri the praise of something, right? They're, like you don't give them a meal or you tell them bad dog or something they don't like. And, and when they are happy, right, when something excites them, it's because there's usually a reward that has been associated to it that makes their physical body better. This is what that, that leads them. Animals are this way. All creatures that have bodies have a heart and mind that are controlled by the flesh. But do you know something cool about yourself is you're not just like a dog. 
Yes, you have a body that has a physical mind and, and a physical heart, but you also are a spiritual being. Because it says in Scripture, when God created you, he, he may be not just out of the flesh of the earth, but then he breathed his spirit of life into us and made us spiritual beings. And, and spiritual beings that are sentient, just like physical ones, have hearts and minds. So think about angels or demons. The angels, don't they have feelings? Doesn't it say that Satan hates us? Right? That, that, there's a, uh, that the angels have an adoration for God. They have a thoughts and emotions. They have spiritual minds. And guess what? Spiritual beings have a spiritual body, and that spiritual body is motivated that, by its heart and, and their mind, by their thinking and their feelings. And those thoughts and, and feelings from a spiritual being, it, all their thoughts and, and feelings are controlled by the spiritual body. That, that's what controls them. So like an angel, you're not going to tempt, you can kick it in the shin and make it you like, or, or say, bad angel and whip it, and then it's going to somehow physically feel pain and then going to change how it lives. It's not going to be motivated by eating or sleeping or anything like that because it doesn't have a physical body. So its feelings and emotions aren't controlled by that. But, but it has spiritual things that certainly affect it. Well, you're a spiritual being. And there are things in your heart and your mind that are controlled by your spiritual body subject to the spiritual laws. That's important. So we have this body that's physical, that has a heart and mind, and we have a spirit that is spiritual and has a heart and mind. So we have this dual heart and mind where the two overlock, right? They, they overlap and they kind of lock into each other. That is what we call our soul. And the soul in scripture, right, is where the spiritual body and the physical body line up. And we recognize that when we talk about a heart and a mind. So your heart and mind is affected both by your body and by your spirit, which is pretty cool. Which is why as Christians, if I get low blood sugar, I get grumpy. Gives me bad blood sugar, and then so I, I start to, my, my emotions and my thoughts start to change. But I also am impacted by my spirit. But my thoughts and emotions can be changed by where I am spiritually. If I'm harboring anger or rage or or. Uh, unforgiveness in my spirit, it does affect how I think and how I feel, doesn't it? The same way, if, if I'm practicing good things or godliness, if I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm, and I'm being stronger in the spirit, it affects how I see the world. It affects how I believe, and this changes how I live. Because the heart and the mind, the soul, is the steering wheel that affects how we live our lives. It changes our, our actions, our behaviors, which lead to our, our, uh, our habits, which create our character, which really make us who we are. So if you understand the interplay between the two, you have a body and a spirit. Now, we have a problem. Now, we are broken people. We sinned, and our body was fallen, so we have broken physical nature, don't we? And so our bodies, made by God, still desire what is sometimes wrong and evil, right? Sometimes I, I want things that are not godly or good, and I will uh, misuse this body because it's broken. Well, also, because I'm a human being, when I sin, my spirit became corrupt. And so it also is affected by wrong things. Just because it's a spirit doesn't mean it's good. I mean, think about the devil. All spirit, all bad, all the time. And so humanity has these two corrupt bodies that are controlling our lives, and this is why the world has fallen apart. This is why we're the type of people who are not who we want to be. But good news, when you were born again, what part of you was born again? Did you get a new little baby body? Do I baptize people in water and they come up as a little baby infant? 
because that would be a cool trick. But no, you keep this body right now. You get a new one later that your body's going to someday wear out. It's going to die, and then you get a brand new one. Yay! And that one won't be corrupt, but this one that I still have is still corrupt. So my body will always have corruption in it, which so I'll always have some level of corruption in my thinking and my feelings. But when I was born again, my spirit was born again. I had a spiritual rebirth, and my new spirit is now incorrupt. It's perfect. My spirit is fully sanctified. It, it desires to do what is right. It desires to do what is good. And so now, as a Christian, we have this war going on between us, between our body and, and our spirit. And they're fighting over our soul. They're fighting over the steering wheel to say, how is our life supposed to go? And the stronger my flesh is in, in that, the more it uses that steering wheel to draw me away into pathways or lifestyles that lead to death and corruption and all kinds of brokenness. But the stronger my spirit is, the more my spirit has power over that steering wheel of my life, and the more I will find myself living and becoming the type of person that is, that is good and actually has true virtue. This is what we talk about as the transformation. Because when you're born again, your baby little spirit doesn't have a lot of power, but as it grows, and, and fortunately your body gets older and wears out and has less power, eventually there is a shifting point for the Christian in which the virtue starts to... The, starts to grow because our spirit has more power over our heart and our mind, our actions, than our, than our flesh does. Does this make sense? Because until we get this, we can't understand why we would fast. See, when we fast, the reason we do it is one thing is we want to diminish the power of the flesh. Whatever we feed gets stronger. And so fasting, the first portion of it, is to diminish the power of the flesh. Even pagans understand this is why they fast, because they want their spirit to have more power in their life. Where they fall short is their spirit isn't any better than their flesh was, because it's not born again. But when we fast, yes, we want to take away power from the flesh, but we also need to give power to the spirit. So when we fast, it's not just abstaining from things that feed the flesh, but it's also nourishing the spirit so it can grow stronger, so it can have more control. And how do you feed something? Well, with food. So what is spiritual food? Well, scripture talks about it quite a bit. In fact, Jesus, one of the things is he talks about that, that spiritual food is, is uh, scripture. And we find that in an early part of his ministry. After he comes uh, to, to John the Baptist, is baptized, the Holy Spirit shows up and God's show, Father shows up and God says, this is my son whom I love and well pleased. The Holy Spirit you know, lands on him like, like a dove. It's pretty great. Right? And, and so we know that this is God. And then what's the first thing he does is God leads him out into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days, which is a really big fast. And during that time, you would expect Jesus to be extremely weak because if you don't eat for 40 days, you're going to be extremely weak. But at the end of that, he is tempted by Satan himself, the strongest tempter that's ever been. And he's locked now in a huge battle. What's his will going to do? And Jesus shows after this 40 days of fast, he's not weak, but he's so strong, he's able to defeat the devil in just three sentences. He's got a great amount of spiritual strength. And one of those temptations that the devil brings to him gives us a clue of how he became so strong. And the devil says, hey... If you're really the son of God and you're hungry, you could just say to this bread or this, these rocks turn into bread and you can be fed. So just go ahead and do it. And what does Jesus say? 
He says this, Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus said, listen, yes, I can do it. I'm a creator. I can make bread. But that's not the point. You see, I'm not being malnourished right now, devil. That I have God's word, and it made his spirit incredibly strong. And what we learn from this, is, and other places of scripture will tell us, that the Bible, that scripture is spiritual food. And if you want to grow spiritually strong, you can't do that if you are starving your spirit, which is why, as Christians, we religiously read the Bible, just as, as humans, we religiously eat our meals. It has to be part of your life. This is why me, I'm a sneaky, sneaky pastor. Because every single week, do you know what I have? Scripture up there. I encourage you to memorize and to meditate on Scripture. I have you read Scripture as a, as a next step every single week because you need to be spiritually fed. You cannot become spiritually strong if you, if you deprive your spirit of spiritual food. So Scripture is what God gives us. But you know, it's, that's not the only food that we have. There's another place in Jesus' ministry, fairly early on. He's going from, uh, from the northern portion of the country, which is uh, Galilee, and he's going to go south to where Jerusalem is, to the southern portion, which is Judea. And normally they would go around the middle part because in there, that's where the Samaritans were, and there were some racial and religious and all kinds of issues in there. Uh, and so he, usually they would just go around it. But this time he didn't. He went right straight through Samaria. And he walks, and his disciples are on a long road trip. And those were literally road trips. They would walk all the way down, and they get to this village, and they're tired. And so Jesus sends his disciples at midday to go into the village to get some physical food because their physical bodies were tired. And Jesus sits down on the outside of town at a well where there is a Samaritan woman sitting there. Well, not sitting there. She was working. She was, she was drawing water at the time of day that you wouldn't normally do that. But she was up there, and she was bringing water out of the well, and Jesus begins to minister to her. And eventually, through a great conversation with her, shows her that he is the Messiah. And she's so excited by this, she runs off into the village, and she tells everybody who Jesus is, and they want to come back. And just, now, in the meantime, the disciples had come back with food, and they saw Jesus talking to this woman, and then she leaves, and she's all excited, and they're like, what's going on here? They're like, hey, Jesus, you want a sandwich, right? You've had a big day. And Jesus says to them, no, no, I don't need the food, because he says this, my food, Jesus says, is to do the work of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, that spiritual food isn't just scripture. It's also, it's obeying God. It's building his kingdom, right? So it's obedience. It's something we call ministry. And ministry isn't just something you get paid for if you're a, a professional pastor. Ministry is what we do when we're building God's kingdom. It's, it's we're using our gifts, our time, and our talent to invest in God's kingdom, to be obedient to him, and to do what he wants. That feeds the spirit just as much as reading the word. Now, liberal denominations, they usually focus on the second portion of spiritual food, right? They have the social gospel. They go out and do all of these things, but oftentimes they have ignored the first portion of actually reading God's word. And what happens is their diet becomes unbalanced, and then they get off course, and when they think they're doing God's word, they think they're obeying God, they're actually not. And so their spirits become malnourished. Now, on the other side, conservative Christians oftentimes have focused so much on, on understanding and reading God's word that we don't have time to do it. That we, we understand, we go to all the Bible studies, we do all the things, but then we just don't practice it. And again, we become unbalanced, malnourished, and, and become cold, and, and we don't see transformation in our lives and things. But a healthy spiritual diet includes 
a understanding and a taking in God's word and then applying God's word, actually doing it. And this is how our spirit grows. And as our spirit grows stronger, it has more effect over our soul, our thoughts and our emotions, which then direct how we live. And those actions become um, our behaviors, which become our, our, our character, which leads our lifestyles, really who we become. In Galatians 5.16, Paul talks about this difference very clearly. And he says, at one point, he says, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the power of, of being able to have a stronger spirit. If we do things that feed the Spirit, then we're going to find ourselves living less and less according to the, the part of us that still remains broken, which is our body. If you want to have a transformed life, if there are sins that right now that you have been struggling with maybe for years, and you wonder, why can't I change? Why can't I change my thinking? Why can't I change my emotions about this? Why am I seem stagnant on these things? Well, maybe it's I'm not walking by the Spirit. Maybe it's because I'm not feeding the Spirit. Or maybe I'm overfeeding the flesh. The, the reason that you haven't had transformation is that the flesh still has too much grip on how you live. And that's why we go back to the virtue of fasting. See, fasting is what has the change. Fasting is what it got, gives the ability to not just feed the spirit, but over, through a fast, we also have this, this opportunity to starve the flesh. If you continue on in Galatians, and he says that the works of the flesh are, are very plain to see. It's murder, it's lust, it's, it's envy, it's pride, it's all these all bad things, right? But he, then he says, but the fruits of the Spirit, but the effect of the Spirit in you are, are very clear. It's love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness, right? All those good things. Fasting for many is that, it's kind of like that first step of a new diet, right? It's, it's what allows there to be a, the change in our life. It's what helps us get over the hump. It's what allows us, the flesh, to become weakened enough and our spirit to get strong enough that we can begin to see real change. That is why when we fast, oftentimes our prayers become deeper because now the spirit, which is sanctified, is more in tune with the Holy Spirit and prays better prayers, right? And so we see things happen in our lives. When we fast, oftentimes we see bigger change in, our, in what's happening in our life we, because uh, maybe we're overcoming different sins that have dogged us for a long time. Why? It's not magic. It's that we're starving the flesh as we're feeding the spirit. But if you fast and you're just doing it for show, that doesn't happen. You're just starving your body, which is going to make you grumpy. And then that grumpy body of yours is going to have a grip on the steering wheel of your life and it's going to make you a lousy person, which is what Jesus is saying. That kind of fasting, that kind of religion is powerless. Don't do it. You've received your reward. But when you fast, right, what are you supposed to do? Well, don't do it for show, but also it says make yourself, you know, don't make this about anything else. You're not doing it for other people, but doing it for God, connecting with him reading his word, obeying what he has to say, right? Living for him, feeding the spirit, then God will reward you. And the reward is this transformation in your life. And God called us to transform, transform lives. So, the, the virtue of fasting is the virtue of all religion. All the things that you do for God. Everything that we do in order to 
to, to build God's kingdom, a life of ministry, a life of obedience, when I read the word and I apply it in my life in all the different ways, when, whether you're greeting here at the church or you're serving somebody at, at, at work or in your home, those things build the spirit, but don't do them for show. But also, if you need that transformation, if you're stuck, if, if there's this place that you, you need God's help and, and you want to be able to connect with them, then here's something to do is fast. Is begin having to, to starve the body just a little bit so that you can feed the spirit, so you can connect with God and have that strength to find transformation in your life. It's the virtue of not just fasting, it's the virtue of transformation. And what an amazing gift. Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us a better way to understand our religion? So, as we say in our anchor verse, as Jesus concludes all of this, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You can hear the things that I told you today, but if you continue to live the ways that we've always lived, by feeding the body and occasionally just abstaining from things to be religious, it's like building your house on sand. You're missing the point. But if we can live lives understanding what, and really thinking through, what am I feeding right now? Who am I really serving? If, if we're seeking true virtue, not just a virtue signal, if I want to go after God to feed the Spirit, there's going to be a, a whole different kind of life before you. And it's, it's fantastic. So how would you apply this today? Well, you know that I love you, and I always give you good things to do. And the first one I'm going to encourage you to do is read the book of James. Yeah, I call it a book because that's what they say, but it's really a letter, and it's not very long. But here's a guy who didn't even follow his brother Jesus while he was alive on this earth, pretty much opposed to him. But then when Jesus rose again from the dead, he was thoroughly convinced. And here's something that happened. He became a different kind of guy. And even though he was, in their culture, very uneducated, didn't come from a wealthy family, he became very influential in the community because the transformation in his life was so profound. He was known as James the Just. He had influence over even the Sanhedrin and all kinds of others. Like God made this man into something great. He, there was a transformation in him. And he talks about that process in his letter. And he encourages the church to grow in, in real faith and faithfulness. I encourage you, take some time this week, feed your spirit. These are the words of God, and, but also practice them. As you do that, also I encourage you to meditate on Matthew, our, our, our memory verse. Why? Well, because when we eat something, we don't just swallow it whole. Hopefully you chew on a little bit. You get more nu nutrients out of that. And that's what meditation is. It's not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the words of God, but really chewing it, thinking through what it has to say. And so our anchor verse, when Jesus says that whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock, think through that, especially in terms of this. How are you being wise in your life? And what ways do you need to begin building your life on a better rock? Something else you might want to do this week, a commitment to seek virtue, right? It's not just a virtue signal. Not just to look right, but to have God transform you. And maybe you don't even believe that he could do that because for many years you've had these sins and these things that you just can't seem to get over. I want you to understand that there's a reason for that. You need your spirit to become stronger. It's not that God is too weak and it's not that he wants to leave you where you're at. But there needs to be a change in there. As for, for you to, to really pursue, not just not doing the bad thing, but to preserve, pursue godliness, to do what he's asked. To, to read his word and then to begin to, in, in even small ways, to begin to apply it. You know, God will change you in that. And maybe for you, if you need that extra boost, I'm going to encourage you this week, why don't you make a commitment to fast and pray? And if you've never fasted before, don't do a 40-day fast, please. 
right? You, you build spiritual muscles. Like when I have kids, football players, we take them to the gym. If they haven't lifted all summer, I'm not going to have them just max out and just do all kinds. They're going to pull a muscle, right? You, you start small and work up. So if you've never fasted before, just take a day. Sun up to sundown, right? Take some time to starve the body, but as you do it, make sure that you're also feeding the spirit, reading his word, meditating what it has to say, and, and ministering, doing what God asked in your life. Put those together, and I think you're going to find, and then talk to God about that, obviously. And that may be you know, the very thing that gets you unstuck and to be able to see the, the beginning of great transformation. Okay. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus yet, you haven't been uh, baptized and you haven't received his grace and you haven't you know, expressed your faith through confession, like if you haven't become a follower of Jesus, then here's the thing. Your spirit is still corrupt, so fasting is not going to do you a lick of good. All it's going to do is just change the power from one corrupt thing to another. But if you want to see real transformation, the first thing is you have to be born again. Let, let God make you into something different. This is when he saves us. He doesn't just save us from hell. He saves us from ourselves. It's like you can be born again and you can have a fresh spirit, a new spirit, one that is not corrupt nor ever will be. And if you need to have that transformation, this is what you do. It says in Scripture that we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And now that you might not know exactly what that means, so that's why I want you to talk to me about it. I can help you take those steps of faith, right? When you're going to confess it, you're going to believe, you're going to repent, you're going to be baptized, you're going to be discipled. It's going to be a, a new, amazing way of life. But if you need to take that first step so you can have real transformation, please don't leave today without um, come and talk to me, and we'll help you uh, take those steps of faith and let the new life begin. Now, for all of us, we have something to do right? You didn't come here this morning to just hear me speak, right? You, you came here to meet with God and to be tra changed, right? Transformed as a generational disciple. So let me know what those connections, what that, that next step is for you. So that way I can support you this week in prayer um, and uh, that you can make that next step of faithfulness to God. Uh, as you do that, um, let me pray for you and then we're going to take our offering in our offering basket. Uh, let me know what your connect steps are in your connection card and then drop those connection cards in the offering basket with your tithes and your gifts. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you didn't, uh, you didn't give us a life of misery, that you've given us a life of joy, that you didn't uh, ask us to do things just on our own power, but God, you've given us uh, your, your assistance and your help. But Father, that you have also have given us new spirits. Lord, we want our spirits to be stronger, especially in these, this dark and depraved world. I'm grateful that Jesus said that, that in his kingdom that there's a time coming that none of us would be murderers or adulterers or liars. We're not going to be people who give for wrong motive or do anything that, that would be wrong, but the law would be fulfilled in us. Lord, this is what we long for. But we want to be transformed even now. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in us right now, just as it is in heaven. So help us take that next step. Feed our spirits, Lord. Uh, help us to, to, to diminish the power of the flesh over our lifestyle so that we can have a, a greater, more righteous, more sanctified life in this world that we can reflect you better. And in that, Lord, I pray that you would help us, the commitments we've made today, help us to do those not just in a religious way uh, to, to, to look right, but, Father, as a way of pursuing you. Father, take our tithes and offerings as well. Build your kingdom through them, Lord. May, may our gifts be done with the right heart, and may your kingdom come in power here in Estes Park. And Lord, we pray all of this in the wonderful name of Savior Jesus. Amen.